Good morning. Sunday morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and sunny greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio, so our two-hour live show that we put on every single week to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world today, what's happening in the news, how to be able to interpret it and get past all the weird propaganda and all that other weird nonsense that's happening. And obviously, I mean... Let, let's be honest, this isn't like a hard show uh, this week because, you know, the, like starting up, obviously, we have just like what seems to be the new practice of the Democrat Party, like their new solid policy of the Democrat Party is just um, we're just going to tell everybody that uh, the definitions of things have changed, but we're also going to call them conspiracy theorists if they suggest that we change the definitions. Um, everything's fine. And it's interesting. Really, they're changing the definitions for our own good. Yeah. We like, wouldn't want those recidivist elements being able to capitalize on any of their failures. Like, we need you to, yeah, we need you to understand that the real bad thing that's going to happen is if, uh, if people actually recognize um, that there's a recession, then they might do something awful like not support Democrats. And uh, that's obviously the biggest concern um, that they have entirely. Um, so, yes, of course, we're going to be talking about the recession news that happened, the hilarity that is um, the massive media and Democrat cover up that nobody's buying. Like, that's the funniest part about it is like not a single person in the United States is buying the bullshit. Um, but, you know, here we are. Um, but just, to, you know, a few other fun things to cover as well. Um, <clears throat> one thing I want to start with, because. It's interesting, and I think it'll be a fun thing. And by the way, for those of you, um, you know, if you're listening over at Podbean, you can jump into the live room where we've got the chat up. So we're monitoring that, uh, where we'll be able to, you know, see your comments and everything. And uh, this is going to be kind of like the the first uh, entry into, you know, um, getting getting the live audience to kind of engage a little bit. There's some uh, there's a weird comic strip. Uh, Alan and I've been sharing it back and forth, but it, it was pretty popular out there um, yesterday and, and for the last few days on social media. And it's a it's a weird comic strip called Mom Life. And it's uh, caused an interesting stir. So I'm going to go through some of the panels here to try to describe it. Um, and we're supposed to take this as like real. But I have my doubts. We'll get into it. So one one of one of the examples of this is there's a picture. It's it's always divided between it's like her and her husband. And so the title of this one is one of the many differences between me and my husband. And it's like the the panel is her and she's staring at like a peach on a table. And it says, oh, look, the last ripe peach. I'll save it for the kids. They love peaches so much. And it says my husband. And he, he's got his little thought bubble and it says, oh, look, the last ripe peach. I'll use it as a special treat in my daily smoothie. And so 
these are the kinds of things um, that are put out there, but it gets, um, it gets like worse. There's one where they're in the kitchen and the, the husband is saying, I'm so excited for my birthday because it's the one day I don't have to do the dishes and make lunches. And then she has her little thought bubble and says, does he think he doesn't have to be a parent on his birthday? Interesting. And my personal favorite of the proof that this woman is a complete and total twat. <laughs> Me trying to explain our household dynamic in terms my husband understands. And this is her explaining it. On most sports teams, you have a superstar or a playmaker who makes things happen. That's me. Then you, uh, you often have that person who just stands around waiting for other people to make plays or shoot the ball. That's you. We need you to step up so we can win as a team. So, um... This this comic strip shouldn't be called Mom Life. It should be called fan, uh, it should be called feminist fantasies. Because well, I, it's just mm -hmm. it's you can tell a lot of this comic is just based so much on resentment and I don't know maybe poor communication skills. There's one there's a, one of the ones was pictures like my husband working out. It shows the guy just doing push-ups and then. The next panel is me working out, and it's the lady also trying to do push-ups, and there's there's what kid like on her back, another kid sitting next to her, there's little toys everywhere. And he's like, Okay, if this was a problem, just don't don't work out next to your kids. Like I, I don't understand what this car comic is complaining about. You're making you're like tell the kids to go away and while you can work out. And then but clearly you just want to complain about you want to complain more than you want to actually solve any of these issues. Another one where, you know, it's like my husband in the kitchen is, and her, the wife says like, can you grab a bib for the baby? And then the husband responds, what, sure, what drawer is it in? And then her mental thought bulb is, it's in the same drawer it's always been in. How does he not know where it is? It's not like he's put a, grabbed a bib from the same drawer 15 times. Like, yeah, the, the guy just, 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 just let it go, just answer. But I know I, it's weird. I've met people that seem like this. Like they really just they get off on complaining about the, the their their life, their kids, their marriage. They it's like they have such little else in life that all they can do is complain. It's fairly strange. But I see this. I'm, I feel like this sort of thing is more becoming more common just because it's. It's in vogue to have a bunch of deep-seated resentment that you can claim you're oppressed by. It's the same way. It's the same. It's like any gay person you ever ask, ask if they were oppressed or if their parents hate them. And they're like, oh, my gosh, yes, absolutely. Like, oh, what'd your parents do? Well, they oh, supported me all the way. I paid for my college. But they were they, they oppressed me because I think a lot of this is just it's in vogue to have something to, to complain about being oppressed and women that are happily married with a husband and kids and it's great probably feel self-conscious that they don't have anything to complain about like all of these poor minorities well you know it's it's funny because you you bring that up well one is uh colleen has a comment here and just says that's why he's boning the neighbor <laughs> i mean if i was the husband and i saw the comics that my wife was making like this i would be appalled I'd be like, we're getting a divorce because this, you're insane. 
Yeah, I um, I have doubts that this woman's married. Uh, she's either divorced or has never been married, and this is just like I said, it's it's just feminist fantasy. Like this is just the it's the normal. Like I'm so put upon. Like and by the way, one one meta thing I have to bring up just because, like I said, this is just kind of entertaining. And by the way, this is very different than the normal memes of people like, you know, kind of like the sort of sitcom memes of, you know, the the husband and wife, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of stuff. Like, yeah. that's all fine. Like, nobody cares about that. Sometimes it's funny or whatever. Um, and there's plenty of, you know, content like that. The idea that there is somebody blatantly just bashing on their husband and it's seen as like girl power as opposed to the like appalling sense of there's obviously something wrong and maybe you should spend less time making comics about it and more time like fixing whatever the hell this is it, it's just i think a lot of well a lot of people are sharing it because of the obvious like the only people who like a comic like this are those crazy feminists that like probably aren't even married and are just angry that men exist because they have to have something to be mad about. Um, but the other side of it too is it's like, I think that there are a lot of people that are looking at it and going, if this husband is real, holy crap, this dude is in like basically a very abusive relationship because the entire internet sees him as a complete piece of garbage because that's how he's presented by his, you know, wife which typically isn't how that works but the point is is a i i i have my doubts that this woman's even married but it's also just hilarious that this is there is a real subsect of women that go through life this way um and and it's not just women though like like alan was pointing out there is an economy to being a victim and the left survives entirely off of that economy. And it's interesting you bring it up because when I was a musician and, you know, I'm in a band and I'm writing music and, and doing all of this stuff, there was always this weird thought. Now, I was like a teenager and in my early 20s at the time, but there was always this whole every time you read any article of a musician. Um, especially, especially in like the early two thousands and stuff like that. Every single musician talks about this, like deep seated pain and the root of their music was just from the terrible life that they had. And, you know, they've always, they always had some sort of horrific upbringing. They were always oppressed or something, something terrible happened. There was always tragedy. There was basically no good musician that ever just came out of a normal, life right like that's sort of the that's sort of the meme right right sure so the real question though is is that true likely no likely a lot of these people had normal lives but nobody wants to be a millionaire musician who's like writing songs about the girl that like didn't call them back or something and then turn around and be like well no my life was pretty good my parents are pretty awesome uh, you know, you know, like, like, yeah, everything was all right. Like my dad was a super nice guy and we got along great, but it's funny because there was always this kind of anxiety when you're a musician. Like I looked back at my life and it was all pretty good. Like nothing real terrible happened, you know, or whatever. And I was like, am I, 
am I going to be incapable of being a good songwriter because I don't have this like completely messed up life and I'm not like waking up every morning thinking about hanging myself from the rafters and I don't have a drug problem, you know, or like stuff like that. And the reality is, is yeah, neither do most of these other people. This is just bullshit that they make up because everybody has to kind of make it sound like they came from some rough background or something's terrible. Because if you just said like, yeah, everything's pretty good. People are going to be like, well, I hate you or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, I remember there was, I think it was behind the music or something, but it was a documentary on Metallica. And I remember they interviewed one of the lead guys from Metallica. And this was in mid 2000s, maybe. And I remember his commentary was, he's like, yeah, we're working on a new album. And, but I mean, by now we all have families and kids and we're all millionaires. And he's like, it's actually starting to get kind of hard to muster the same energy to put into this music than when we were all broke and angry and angsty when we were young. Things are all pretty great now, so it's kind of hard to, you know, find the inspiration anymore. <laughs> Which I I actually res- I kind of respect. It's like, yeah, honest, at least he's honest. It's like, yeah, sure. But, yeah, but I it's... think that's why a lot of people fall into that trap. Is it's, well, like I... There is a lot of essentially currency. There's a lot of value or something to be gained from being this oppressed victim and having all of this frustration and angst that can power you through life. And I don't know, it's a, it is definitely something that I feel is a, a common occurrence and responsible for a lot of the, at least some part of this whole kind of culture war dynamic that goes on. Yeah. And well, and I, I... It's, I'm not going to harp on this much more, but like so much of it is because of Hollywood, right? Like when you make a movie, a movie needs to be entertaining and it needs to be engaging. And so there has to be conflict and there has to be all this other stuff involved, uh, you know, for audiences to go want to watch a movie or watch a television show. And so there's always these shows that just have this overly exacerbated, like, super dramatic situation and then people look at it and it's like well that's normal life i'm watching a show that's showing normal life and then they're like my life needs to be like the tv life uh um i'm gonna make a way bigger deal out of this little tiny thing as if it's like you know see they basically imagine themselves as a movie and well, i think you mm-hmm. you've talked about it with some of the like, like you see on the movies that if I'm gay, it means my parents must be, I must be being oppressed. My parents have to hate me, kick me out of the house. And that's, this is like, they see this is a meme of how gay people are supposed to act. And then I think people live that. I think one of the comments you brought up is why do all gay people talk with a lisp? Where did they learn that? It's not a natural, it doesn't seem like it's a natural occurrence. They, they, it is an intentional affectation. Right. Right. And it's, yeah, it's because that's, yeah, there's an, it's, I don't know, call it a signal code switching. I don't know what the hell you would call it. Um, There's probably some term for it, but you're probably not allowed to talk about it. To your point, though, we saw this um, during the Democrat primaries um, in 2020 with uh, Pete Buttigieg, because Pete Buttigieg, of course, you know, his big superstar thing is he's gay because like let's just be honest otherwise he's a completely unremarkable person 
He was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Like, who gives a shit, right? Um, and he, it's right. not like he did anything amazing in South Bend, Indiana. He was just the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. But he was gay. And that was like, that's the only reason why everybody in the United States of America knows who Pete Buttigieg is, because they were like, yeah, well, it's the normal, they, there's a box, you know, there, there's the uh, oppression box or the oppression Olympics that the Democrats have to check. And they were like, oh, first gay president, that'd be a neat one. Um, you know, like they yeah. are a Hollywood room. But point is, is during the uh, primaries, you know, of course, everybody's like, ooh, Pete Buttigieg, he's gay. Isn't that crazy? And then everyone wanted to know, well, what was it, what's it like? Like, what's the family dynamic like? for gay Pete Buttigieg. And his response was, oh yeah, my family had like trouble accepting me. And you know, there were a lot of problems and all this other stuff. And his own brother came out and was like, that's complete bullshit. Our parents were super supportive of you the entire time. They, they, like, they were proud of you. And I remember when you came out, nobody cared. Why are you lying about this? But it's yeah. because you have to. It's expected. It's, the, it's, an, it's expected in, to come with the territory. Right. But anyway, moving moving on from that, that whole dumbassery, um, it was just it was just too it was too entertaining to not to not bring up. So I had to bring up the comics. And sorry, uh, Colleen's asking where she can find these. I don't know where the original posts are. There is a lot of them on Twitter. And if you go on to, um, I actually I'll just share it right now. Um, if you go onto our Twitter at Wrong Think Radio, uh, you'll see a uh, an edited version that somebody made. Uh, where they memed on like the Wojak faces and and uh, stuff like that, um, but it's I'm assuming it's probably something on like Tumblr or something lame like that. Um, so you'll have to you'll have to look there. Uh, but there we've retweeted it now, so you can at least see them. But whatever the handle is, it's like at momlife underscore comics wherever the hell she posts it. So, um, although Colleen, if you do end up, uh, if you do end up re-memeing them, uh, be sure to share them with us. We'll be happy to take a look at them and, and giggle at them and throw them up on social media. Cause that'll be fun. Um, so let's dive into, well, actually I would say the biggest news story, but there was a breaking story that came out yesterday, which is that, uh, um, Joe Biden has tested positive again for COVID. So they're locking him back in his basement in Delaware, I'm assuming, or something. He's quarantining again. Um, well, I mean, the study, the the science now is that the vaccine makes it more likely by a rather shocking percentage that you are going to catch COVID. I mean, that's bared out by the facts, even from the guy who said, if you get vaccinated, you won't get COVID, which... Was a lie. We said it was a lie the entire time, and we were called conspiracy theorists and you know all sorts of other names. And it's actually not a lie, and it never was a lie. Oh, and by the way, they knew the entire time. Yeah. That's the most notable part. In fact, before I dive into the other stuff that I was going to, um, they they knew vaccines weren't effective. And this has been admitted, which is what's terrifying, um, because this has been admitted by uh, 
people in the administration to include uh we we, we talked about her it was a was a deborah burks can't remember her first name but yeah. here's here's two clips of dr burks one from december of 2020 and then one from this month july 2022 here's dr burks um these are the two different sides of the entire COVID discussion. Uh, here they are. Truly achieve herd immunity is going to take through the summer and potentially even into the fall. That's getting, you know, 80, 70, 80% of Americans immunized. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And I think we overplayed the vaccines and it made people then worry that it's not going to protect against severe disease and hospitalization. It will, but let's be very clear. 50% of the people who died from the Omicron surge were older, vaccinated. Truly. I mean, mm. we all knew this. <laughs> yeah, this, this has been, this is not new information. People have been talking about this for over a year now, based on the science that's mRNA vaccine, especially a lot of doctors when they, and professionals and they looked into it. Unfortunately, most people don't know about it because all of those people were banned off of social media platforms like YouTube, et cetera, as part of the, and this is not just by the companies, the United States government made an agreement with a lot of these media organizations and social media companies about protecting against misinformation due to vaccines. And it, and the so the US government essentially encouraged all of these outlets to take a very aggressive stance against anyone talking about the dangers of vaccines. And I think that's a very important part to me because it means the U.S. government was intentionally working to prevent people from understanding the dangers of this vaccine that the U.S. government was paying for and aggressively promoting and coercing it towards the populace. Well, and people that were people that were sounding the alarm were banned from sounding that alarm by the efforts of the U.S. government and a lot of these cor media corporations. And it's only now that we're, it's the evidence is getting so great that they can't really hold it back any longer. Well, and the, the amazing part about it is the way that they would rationalize things like this is they're going to sit there and say, well, if we told people that the vaccine would offer maybe a minor amount of protection or, you know, or if we were just directly honest and we're like, look, we don't know, this is the best that we can do. You know, this is sort of an unprecedented situation. You know, if they just said something like, you know, things that like normal people, like everybody, every American sitting there going, I don't understand why they didn't just say this. Um, the reality is, is it's because their biggest thing was we need to we once the vaccines came out and especially once democrats got a hold of all of the messaging and everything else it was if we can just get everybody vaccinated um then we can declare victory and we can just move on from this and it's like sure okay sure or maybe like however that was their plan now there's obviously a lot of other nefarious stuff that we can look at and the idea of just control and compliance and what have you but the way that they got regular people to rationalize this was well it's okay if they're a little dishonest as long as it results in people doing the right thing oh good and 
By the way, so much of what we're going to be covering on the program today revolves around that terrible rationalization of it's going to be, it's okay if we're just horribly dishonest to the American people because really um, we're the smartest people in the room and they just, people just need to do what they're told. And it's this amazing situation where I'm going to say devout liberals because there are plenty of examples that a lot of Democrat voting Americans have either totally checked out of politics or are not Democrats anymore, are leaning out of the Democrat Party. But mm-hmm. what I will say is the you know devout liberal apparatchiks that you see, they are legitimately out there pushing messaging that is akin to we're all stupid and the government is smarter than us and we need to do what we're told because we're not smart enough to make our own decisions. That is legitimately the end result of all of all of their thinking. And here's, I mean, let me just let me just play this clip here. This is an exchange between um, the White House press secretary, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, and Peter Ducey discussing the fact that the definition of recession changed. And I want you to listen, listen to his question and listen to her response. And I want you to realize this is the spokesperson for the entire Biden administration. And this is what they think of the average American. She thinks that this will work on the average American. And I want you to realize how little respect this administration has for the American people with this kind of response. Here it is. Where we are today. If things are going so great, though, then why is it the White House officials are trying to redefine recession? No, we're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. That is not the definition. said in 2008, of course, economists have a technical definition, which is of a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. I can tell you this. And yesterday said two two negative quarters of GDP growth is not the technical definition of a recession. It is not. It is not. Why did he say that? It is not. I can can speak to, I can speak to you to what he said. That's it. It's just, it's not. Like, no, but shut up. No, mm-hmm. shut up. Please stop. Stop talking. Yeah. It, it, and it's amazing. He brought up a name there that, that uh, many of you may not recognize. He said, Brian Deese said in 2008 that the, you know, technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Um, and then yesterday he said that that's not the technical definition. For those of you who don't know, Brian Deese is Joe Biden's economic advisor. He also used to work for BlackRock, but you know, but the point is, is Brian Deese is Joe Biden's economic advisor. And he said, like, he has, obviously he has flip-flopped. So has the media. I mean, that's been kind of social media for the last, you know, several days now has been people like sharing, you know, the AP or Paul Krugman or, you know, any of these economists, any of these like shit libs on the media talking about the standard definition of, uh, 
um, sorry, the standard definition of um, recession, and then them saying, well, that's not actually it. And the reality of it is, and this was uh, highlighted on Twitter by um, by the uh, uh, Twitter user Aaron McIntyre, which is they all know that they're lying, of course, but this is a loyalty pledge. They are signaling to the Biden administration whether or not they are loyal. Mm. And that's the real point here. And speaking of Brian Deese, uh, this guy who used to work for BlackRock and is now uh, Biden's economic advisor, this is the kind thing to, to continue on the theme. So you just heard Karine Jean-Pierre be like, it's not, it's not, no, it's just, it's not the definition. While you have a legitimate reporter going, but it is though, even your own economic advisor in 2008 said that this was the definition. She goes, yeah, well, but it's not. That's a good, she thinks that that's a good enough answer for Americans facing a recession, but that's not that surprising when you listen to something like this. This is Brian Deese, Biden's economic advisor, talking about what's going on in the United States economically right now. And, and this is the, this is the, this is basically the, um, I don't know a good way to say it. Like this is his sort of like optimistic spin on the economic news. Our economy is uh, more resilient uh, to the to the types of challenges uh, that we faced. Uh, for example, you know, with respect to uh, food, we're a net exporter of, of, of agricultural commodities, and obviously the, the high prices are hitting Americans very hard. But uh, that in in a way that is different from some places that are facing famine, for example, uh, our economy. Oh well, you know, you're not in a famine, so why don't you quit pitching? Yeah. I it clearly is a broad spectrum effort across the media and political class in order to prov to try and obscure the economic realities of the United States and especially the economic future of the United States because as energy energy prices are a major factor energy prices now are extremely high and when we say energy what i mean is things like gasoline it takes energy to move goods to market to move mm -hmm. goods around it takes energy to produce goods when energy is expensive whether it's electrical whether it is petroleum any of these sources of energy have all gotten more expensive the united states is producing because we keep stupidly shutting down power plants especially nuclear plants the united states for the first time is producing less net electrical power than it was last year that should be a that that's that's not good our, because our population is going. Our need for energy, whether it's to run AC, whether it's to run lights, whether it's to run power a refrigerator, whether it's to run a steel blast furnace, whether it's to run a streetcar or any of these things, the need for energy has only increased, and yet we are now producing less of it because of left-wing environmental policies. Gasoline is more expensive. Diesel is more expensive. Matt, like These are the things that run civilization, is run on energy. As those costs increase, it makes every single other thing that we do more expensive by comparison, which means we now have less economic resources to spend on anything else. That's a bad situation to be in. And it seems like there is this concerted effort to distract people and keep them from recognizing the reality that's, in, that's right in front of them and the future that's coming. Because it, as long as energy costs stay that high things are not going to improve. Things aren't going to get better. There, there has to be something that is done 
to make energy costs lower so that everything else can get cheaper. Well, and, and to to your point, like yeah, I, I think I, I think you're you're exactly right that um, obviously the uh, a lot of the policies, especially right when right when Joe Biden came into office, the first thing that he did was completely destroy the United States' energy dominance. Like we were an energy dominant country uh, under mm-hmm. Trump, and the first thing that Joe Biden did was first of all nixed all of that, like destroyed any yeah. of the gains that were made there. And then started all of these other uh, ridiculous, drastic spending. I mean, first of all, um, I want people to understand that prior to Biden coming into the White House, we had done something that was wildly unprecedented. We locked down. We shut down the country. Our economy basically went to a standstill. And it had started opening up you know, before Biden took office, but there, this should be for all intent and purposes after massive lockdowns, after two years of people basically hiding in their homes from the COVID and all this other nonsense were (coughs) for, for the most part, we're all kind of back to normal now. Like a lot of the COVID stuff's over. Everyone's kind of over it. Let's, let's just be honest. It, it surges back in the news, but for people's daily lives, um, the only thing COVID wise that you really see these days is uh, someone wearing a mask, but like no one's forcing you to really do much of anything anymore. Um, you know, you know, exempting things like the military where they're going to kick troops out because they didn't get vaccinated, which is wonderful idea. Ridiculous. Um, but we'll, we'll get to some of that uh, a little bit later in the program. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the economy should be surging. There's a whole bunch of people that are back out. They're back, you know, throwing money at stuff, you know, um, and there's less businesses to throw money at. So, you know, smaller businesses should be getting more money because a bunch of them had to close. But like the economy should be surging back. And so, of course, Joe Biden found a way to completely screw this up. Yeah. I remember. Oh. When, yeah. Sorry, I remember when Joe Biden was elected, I said on this program in January of 2021 that my biggest thing was I'm telling you what's going to happen is the economy is going to surge back because a lot of the lockdowns are being lifted and all of this COVID nonsense is going to go away and liberals are going to turn around and pat themselves on the back and go, see everybody. Like I said that they are going to take the last few months of the Trump administration under COVID and like the negative, you know, the bad economic stuff that occurred because of lockdowns. And they're going to turn around and go, see how much better Joe Biden is. Oh, isn't he so great, everybody? That was what I had predicted was going to happen because I could never predict that Joe Biden and his administration would be so incredibly incompetent that they could screw up an economy that wanted to surge on its own. All they had to do was not touch anything. Yeah. Yeah. And to make matters worse, we were in a position where things were looking potentially dire. We had just had the global COVID lockdowns. There were massive supply chain disruptions. There was huge labor disruptions. We all have seen the ramifications of this. The US, every, the world economy was essentially in sh- a state of shock. 
everything was running on a just-in-time, very precise, well kind of calculated out set of parameters. And that was completely thrown in disarray by the COVID lockdowns globally. Shipping containers, shipping uh, container ships were piling up outside of ports. There wasn't enough truckers. Everything was in chaos. This contributed to a lot of people looking at this and saying, there could be huge economic upheavals in our future simply due to the supply and labor you know, disruptions that have happened. That's going to be really bad. And this is in late 2020. People were looking at this and economists were saying, this, this is really bad. This, this has the potential to throw everything out of whack. It's going to take years to recover. And what did the Biden administration do when they came in? Proceeded to do everything they could to make it worse. And what they should have done is said, okay, we are going to, we're going to build the Keystone XL pipeline. We're going to just make gas cheap because that'll provide a buffer so that all of this other stuff can get back on track after COVID. But the Biden administration has routinely taken steps, whether it's through tax, through tax code, through their energy policies, through their environmental policies. We should have looked at this and said, we need to relax all of these government restrictions on business so that businesses can operate as easily and as possible because they need to get back on track. We need to rebuild all of these systems that collapsed under COVID so that everything can even out and this turbulence can go away. But instead, the Biden administration only added stressors to the already stressed system that has made things cascade into worse and worse. And so, and what is frustrating to me, especially, is when the Biden administration hand waves all this away, it's like, well, it's all the Putin price hike. It's just, it's like, no, these are the end result of your policies going back over a year. And that's where it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that they could have been this disastrous without it being intentional. So the only answer options are either they are so irresponsible and the U.S. government is so is run by people that are completely incompetent that they are not even listening to what all of their economic advisors are telling them. That They're so blind that they are pursuing policies that are based solely on appeasing their various interest groups, whether it's the environmental lobby or Black Lives Matter or anything else. They're so they're so beholden to that that they are intentionally taking actions that are making the economic situation worse at a time when it was already stressed and fragile, or that this is all part of some bigger plan to collapse the United States. And those are kind of the only two options left. I mean, yeah, no. And well, and uh, Dose on uh, on our live chat says, uh, I've been saying, I'm shocked the administration hasn't gotten at least one thing right by accident. And so, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like <laughs> that's exactly it. Like you almost, you like, you have to work hard to screw up this bad. And, you know, and, and uh, a follow-up comment on that is I believe that this is planned and the World Economic Forum is at the center of it. Well, they, we're, we're at a point now, uh, that was, that was also from Dose. Um, we're at a point now that those are the two options. Either the administration and the government itself is, well, number one, the administration is incredibly incompetent. And then number two, 
economists and the media are so beholden to their loyalty to the party that much like what you saw in Soviet Russia, these people will blatantly lie because they would rather be uh, admittable to the party than honest. Um, that's either what's going on or it is one of those, you look at things, plans and, and discussions that have occurred at places like the World Economic Forum, where they've talked about wanting to reset economies, wanting to reset societies so they can shape them um, in the way that they believe these, you know, silly socialist utopias that aren't achievable and have never worked. But the idea is if we could just get all these pesky, you know, uh, countries that are being successful, if we could just, if we could just destroy them and hollow them out, then we could yeah. rebuild them into lame, dumb, over-socialized, uh, you know, completely centralized government, uh, you know, gray hellscapes where everybody eats bugs and lives in a tube or lives in a, uh, what, uh, in a pod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, what's frustrating is there are groups like the World Economic Forum that have a lot of connections with a lot of these Western governments. They all attend Davos. They all attend the same big meetings so people in the U.S. government, European governments, and this World Economic Forum people. So they are deeply interconnected. And then the same World Economic Forum people also won't shut up about how we need to reduce the population, how we need to radically transform all our economies, how we need to, how everybody, how, you know, the populations of all these countries, we all need to own nothing and then be happy. We need to get rid of cars. We need to get rid of the easy movement of people. We need everybody living as serfs. We need to get rid of private property. It's like, if the group that has such outsized seeming it seeming connections with all of these governments, if that is what they are saying, if that's what they are writing in their own excited documentation, then I have to I, can't, I have to imagine that those policies are bubbling up through all of these governments that are so connected with those same people. Yeah, I mean. It's not crazy. They they do blatantly say it. <laughs> that's that's well, that's the thing. And what's incredible is so Joe Biden is elected, basically becomes president in January of 2021. Well, uh, or you know 2020. So sorry, January 2021. Mm -hmm. Look at what Biden does right when he gets in office, and it tells you kind of a lot about where the policies are. So it's January 2021. We've gone through all the COVID lockdowns. There are massive supply chain shortages. I don't know if any of you had, like, I mean, we've, a lot of people have seen it. There's huge supply chain shortages. There's labor shortages. I certainly remember January, 2021, all of this stuff was in disarray and there was a lot of concern about the future. What's, what's, how's all this going to play out? Things are in disarray. First things they do, January, 2021, President Biden, Biden cancels the Keystone XL pipeline. January 27th, Biden halts new oil and gas leases. February 19th, Biden rejoins the Paris Climate Agreement. May 7th, Biden takes 30% of land uh, that limits, limits oil and gas exploration by 30%. June 1st, Biden halts drilling in Anwar. June 30th, Congress reverses Trump's natural, natural gas regulations. October 7th, Biden reverses Trump's EPA regulation changes. October 29th, 
the Secretary of the Interior begins the social cost of carbon program, November 15th. There's a, a Biden enacts a moratorium on drilling in Chaco Canyon. February and then February 24th, Russia invades Ukraine. So all of that happened just step after step after step. And the price of gas has skyrocketed. And we look at gas because it's a really good metric for how easy it is to move all these goods and services. That was a lot of policy decisions from January 2021 to November 2021, one after another, all of which was specifically designed to hurt the American oil industry and hurt the American ability to have energy independence. So it definitely feels like either we are run by children or this is an intentional engineered collapse. It's uh, one of my favorite responses. And of course, one of my favorite responses that I get is this is what happens when you mail order a president. Um, <laughs> it's a great response. I love that. <laughs> but, or, or, or as people in our chat are saying, oh, he wasn't elected. He was selected. No, it was more like installed, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like nobody actually voted for this guy. Well, and, and and that's kind of the interesting part too, right? Is, is, you know, like let, let's, let's bear out the facts. Um, you know, we're, we're joking around a little bit, but it is, it is obviously serious is like, what has Joe Biden done right? And let's bear in mind, this guy has the lowest approval rating of any, any president in that, in this uh, term, in this section of his term. He is the Which lowest. is weird because mm -hmm. he got the quote the most voted for president in history, right? And, and so I mean, it's what I always like playing this game. So, so which is it? Either Joe Biden is the most disappointing president in American history, or a lot of those votes were fake. Right. Those are your two like, choices. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's always amazing to me. It's like, so wait, the guy who never campaigned. So you just look at the, it's like, so American voters must be the stupidest people on the planet or his votes were fake. The guy who never campaigned, who never did public appearances, who had, who never debated Trump, who, his opposition, that guy, Amer the Americans came out and voted for in greater numbers of than any president ever came out and voted for the guy who ran the worst campaign ever. And suddenly they're all disappointed. You're like, well, either Americans are really that stupid or a lot of it was fake. Uh, hey, Alan, real quick question uh, from our chat. Do you happen to have a link to like the thread or the timeline that you just uh, stated out? People in the chat would like to have a copy of that if it's possible. Uh, certainly. I actually have it as an image that. Just shoot it over on Twitter and I'll share I'll it into shoot it the over chat. On to you. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Um, yeah. Sorry, guys. Twitter's kind of like oh, no, a thing. Um, so, but okay. So obviously like we're at a point now where we saw the lies. Well, first of all, we, we all had to deal with the lies when, when they changed the definition of vaccine, right? We all remember when that occurred. And then we saw the whole, yeah. the, the fun dance about, uh, inflation where it was, oh, inflation's transitory. And then it was inflation is, um, what, yeah, what was like, like, yeah, inflation's transitory and then, oh, it's only going to like hurt the rich. And then it was, it was all of this nonsense. Right. Um, and all of it, like th this was, this was the time that the Biden administration, um, really screwed it up because they kind of like 
committed themselves to this idea that um, they were going to lie about inflation, and then it didn't it didn't play out. And yeah. what I what I mean by that is like it it absolutely bit them in the ass because you what what you ended up having is these people. Um, they, they, well, they got caught. They, they were they were one hundred percent lying about inflation, and then inflation happened. It's now it, it's out now. It's something like nine point one percent, nine point one percent. So they lied. Now we have the changing of the definition of you know recession, and they're claiming oh mm-hmm. it's it's not you know and all this. We are at a point now where it is undebatable. You are like. Anybody who is sitting there having a discussion with a Democrat voting American, I don't, honestly, 100%, I cannot fathom a situation in which somebody can say that Joe Biden or the Biden administration um, isn't lying. Like, just what I'm trying to get at, and sorry if I'm, I'm stumbling on it a little bit. But it would almost like people are going to honestly get offended and and pissed off if you were sitting there having a discussion with anyone, uh, like anybody, like a liberal, and they say, um, no, I'm sorry, uh, that's not true. Like, no, we're not in a recession. No, like, no, we're not in a recession. You're lying. Like, we live in two different worlds. There are two different sets of facts. Like, I I don't know how to say it, but it's just, I, well, what I'm kind of driving at here is I don't think that liberals are going to defend this stuff anymore. I don't think they can, and I don't think they will. Yeah. And so what does that mean? Interacting. The sense I get from interacting with kind of, let's say, I'm just, let's start calling them NPR Americans. Or just, just, <laughs> I don't know. Demo, just Democrat voting Americans. No, I like they, it. They're not necessarily activists, but they just, they listen to NPR and that's their news source. And, you know, when they drive to work and they get thus a very distorted picture of reality. The sense I get talking to them is that they, they, they are not happy with how things are going. They know things are going badly. But I almost feel like they don't they don't know where to place the blame because it it it's taboo or it's uncouth or it's somehow vulgar to them to place the blame on, you know, their own voting choices or on on Democrats. But they know that that those people are the ones responsible. And I guess the, the sense I get from them is this sort of wholesale resignation of, well, I just I don't like how things are going. It's all crazy to me. And they're almost just. It's kind of sad. I think that a lot of them just seem somewhat lost because they have no way to explain the absolute failures that they are genuinely noting. And they other other than, well, it, it, it can't be my side doing it. It has to just be like a few bad eggs. But like I said, a lot of them, when I talk to them, it seems like they know things are wrong. They complain about gas prices. They complain about inflation, supply chain issues. But they seem just... They seem like they're it's, it goes beyond unwilling. It's like mm-hmm. they, they I get the sense that they feel they, they just cannot bring themselves to admit that it's 
the intentional policies that they voted for, which maybe is fine. Maybe if the, the best we get is Democrat voting Americans just kind of take themselves out of the political equation and just stop just just entirely, maybe that's the best we're going to get for now. But it is interesting that they I noticed they at least are acknowledging and seeing the problems because they're being hurt. They, they're being hit themselves. Yeah, well, and 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 that's I, I I think that there's going to be the the reality of this is I don't see how any logical person at this point, especially given all of the bullshit we're hearing and all of the failures of this uh, of this administration, and you know subsequently all of the just misguided nonsense that's going on even in the Democrat Party as a whole, like in Congress. I mean, you have to think about that. Like people are economically suffering. People have seen their wages decrease. Um, they've seen their money not go as far. They've seen their investments, their retirement accounts get hollowed out. Um, and at, at the end of the day, every single day, they have to drive past gas stations and yeah. see the cost of this idiot sitting in the White House and his idiot party making decisions, we are at a point now where come the midterm elections, there is zero way that I can see, zero way that I can see Democrats having any sort of electoral chances in the midterms. If Democrats somehow retain power, or to be honest, it's at a point now where I would be shocked if there's honestly a Democrat party. Of, so of any sense. Interesting. When I, when I talk about the, the kind of Democrat voting Americans I interact with, a lot of these people are, are solidly just, I voted Democrat my entire life. That's just what I do. Like someone that grew up and lived in Seattle, that's just, I can see how you'd be so far down the path that there's no going back for you. But even those people, I think, are getting skeptical and demoralized and confused. That means to me, there has to be a massive, millions, multi-million strong group of people nationwide who are not necessarily Democrat activists, but people that were tenuously voting Democrat for most of their, in previous elections. It's like, think about it. Like, think about small business owners, people that, that were on the edge. Mm -hmm. There has to be a lot of those people that are now absolutely, you know, seeing through the illusion, Right. Well, right, right, like, because every centrist, I mean, think about it's like it, you always talk about really when, you know, U.S. elections are a battle for the middle, a battle for people that are willing to switch parties or willing to vote for someone different. I can't imagine how anybody in the middle who would be willing to vote against Democrats because they're, they're ha that, cause that's a sector. It's like people that oh, I'm, I vote for whoever's the best. They're half the entire center of the U.S. political landscape of people that are willing to change sides. Cause let's, I, let's take all the, you know, hardcore Democrat voting Americans that have the black lives matter flag up in their yard. The, we believe in science poster up a Ukraine flag flying from the mailbox. Those people are never going to, are never going to change, but there has to be lots of people in the middle that are looking at what's going on. And it's like, well, I don't even necessarily understand or know why things have changed or why things are bad. You know, Let's just say those people, even if they don't really understand it, at least have to be going, well, whatever it is, we need a change. We can't keep the same people in power because it's as simple as that. 
you look at the way things were under Trump, gas prices were cheap, greatest economy ever, lowest unemployment ever. And then we changed leadership. Look at things now. It doesn't take a genius to at least come up, up with, well, we better change away from what we did. That was clearly a mistake. And I think there's a lot of people that are going to be in that realm. Maybe they don't even have to be well-informed. They just have to look at the situation and come to the conclusion, well, that Biden, these Democrats were a mistake. We should change to something else. And that's all we need. That's the, the avenue we need to, to, to cause these changes. Because I think if there is a major Democrat loss in the upcoming midterms, Democrats are going to go insane. Mm -hmm. The media is going to go insane. And it will, just like the Trump years, the mask keeps slipping. And I think it becomes more and more, it becomes more and more difficult for them to maintain this illusion that they have presented to so many Americans for so many decades. All of that is rapidly disappearing. It's hard to really say there's going to be some giant mass great awakening. It's hard to have faith in that. But at the same time, there has to be an awakening of some sorts happening, maybe not on a massive scale overnight, but definitely over the long term. Well, I do think, you know, at the, at the end of the day, <clears throat> people like, yeah, you you, you had um, the, the entire fuel uh, that Democrats had in the last election was uh, orange man bad. I mean, that, right. that was just so much of it, right? And it's just every single day people were inundated with orange man bad and Trump derangement and all this other nonsense. And so right. we, we have to factor some of that in um, for 2020. And this this is irrespective of any of the, you know, other weird stuff we saw in the election. But point the, the point of it is, is that they don't they don't have that. They're trying. You can you can tell that that was a thing um, that the uh, that that the Democrat Party uh, was really holding on to or is still holding on to because it's kind of like they're the only thing they have. Um, because like, even though basically zero Americans care about the January 6th, like committee stuff, they're still obsessing over it. And the reason why they're obsessing over it is it's all they have. That's like their number one strategy is, oh, uh, you know, Trump bad though, orange man bad. And then everyone's going to look around and go, well, number one. Orange man, not a thing right now at all. This is a midterm election, like whatever. But also number two, people have to look backward and be like, I I, I just lost my house. I just lost my job. I just, you know, I can't uh, pay for X. Um, I'm having trouble getting to work. Orange man, not that bad. Yeah. Because people have to look back. Even... Now we're never going to get this acknowledgement. Let's let's not overplay this too much. You're not. We're not going to get sure. like thousands of Democrats in the streets screaming, "I'm so sorry." Like that's never going to happen. But these people have to sit there and go, "I remember for four years me screaming at my friends and my family on social media and oh, you know yeah. at holiday dinners about how awful America is. Oh, America's so terrible because of Trump." Oh. And then they're sitting there going, and then I had to move back in with my parents because I lost my home, because I can't well, afford my yeah. rent, because I lost my job. 
think about how many of the worst examples people that people that cut family members out of their lives because of Trump or disinvited people from Thanksgiving because they didn't want to get the vaccine. It's like those people now have to are I think I don't know what's going to happen honestly. Those people are probably not in very good spirits right now. I'm I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Um they will be they will go back to normal because the people that they yelled and screamed and whatever at are people on the right. And the reality is, is people on the right will forgive them. And because you've done this yourself personally, you're, you have had people who have had to come back and be like, Hey, I kind of said some shitty things. I know we argued a lot and you're like, look, man, you've, I, I remember you doing this and saying things like, look, I get it. The media lies to you because at the end of the day, that's how we perceive this. We don't sit there and say, I can't believe that my buddy or, you know, my uncle or whatever, I can't believe that they're such a complete piece of garbage. No, we go, I can't believe they believe the lies they're told. We consistently, we focus our ire on the actual bad people. The reason why the right wing is so focused on things like the media and Hollywood and all this other stuff is because we don't like seeing how our neighbors and our friends and our family are being yeah. manipulated by bad people. But at the end of the day, unlike the left, because remember, the left will scream and call you personally a Nazi. They will say that you personally are a racist. We sit there and say, I know that you've been misled by the media and I think it's awful and I wish this never happened to you. And I know. It actually makes mm -hmm. it very frustrating because talking with people, they'll argue, like some people will argue with me repeatedly and just, and I kind of want to speak, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, and, and it's, it's funny because like, let's take politics away from it for just a second. It doesn't even need to be a left yeah. or right divide. I can't believe that 90% of the arguments or debates or whatever that I have on social media can be summarized as why would you just arbitrarily trust the government? When has that ever been okay? When as a society have we yeah. been like, no, you should totally trust the government. They would never lie to you. That's what I think makes me the most upset is it's not even a political thing. Like if somebody asked yeah. me like, hey, do you think the Republican party would lie? I'd go, yeah, of course they would. But nobody on my side of the aisle thinks they wouldn't. We don't trust authority. That's kind of like... It's stupid to say this, but the modern like populist right or whatever the hell you want to call it is just basically the same kind of punk rock stuff that's always kind of existed. Like, oh, I'm sorry, that giant business over there. Yeah, they would lie. Th that giant pharmaceutical company would absolutely lie to you so they could make money. Oh, that giant government over there, they would absolutely lie to you so they can maintain power. That is right. literally everything that people on the populist right or whatever you want to call it, that's all that they think. And that well, it, it, 20 years ago them. was normal. <laughs> it's not just them. I remember the people on the left would go, used to complain about big pharma. And yes. it's kind of obvious. Like, oh, you don't actually care about any of these things. You just, 
you just do what the media. You do what is in vogue. You support what is in vogue to support at the time. Yeah. If the media is wants to, if the if it is in vogue to be skeptical of big oil and big pharma, then you're going to be then you're going to talk endlessly about how skeptical you are of those things. If it's in vogue to support them, then you're going to support them. And it's I think it's it's as simple as that, which is almost more depressing. It's. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it's it's weird. But at, at the to to the point though is is that's what's going to happen because because we know. And I I guess that this is sort of, sort of the joy I will say of like this movement, whatever you want to call it. Um, I I don't I don't like attaching labels to it because some of them get lame and silly. But whatever you want to call it, at the end of the day we view it as people being manipulated. We don't view like, we don't view the, as, as Alan so eloquently said, the NPR Americans, we don't view them as evil. We don't, we view them as people who have been misled and lied to. And yeah, it's more, they're, they're idiots more than they are <laughs> actually evil. <laughs> Like, oh, no, I don't think you're a bad person. You're just really dumb. Um, it, It's interesting. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, because uh, there is a subject that we've been we've been asked to cover. Um, this is a thing. Cool. Um, this is a problem. So uh, for those of you who are new to the show, you know, just started listening and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, Alan and I, one of the one of the big things for us is, is we're both veterans. Um, you know, we were both in the United States army, we're both combat veterans. And so sometimes obviously, uh, there are specific veterans things that get brought up. Um, and in some of these veteran, uh, situations, we have, you know, we have to have discussions about like, say political bills. And one of the thing, one of the reasons, one of the driving factors for things like this podcast was how infuriated Alan and I became like when we were deployed or just in the army itself, how we were constantly used as pawns for political stuff. Um, and the fact that like there was, there was nobody who was like a regular non-commissioned officer, like enlisted person that was out there speaking about the actual military. It was always like retired general so-and-so who's about as connected to the actual United States military as like, you know, I don't know, whatever other elite, you know, insert other one elite here. Right. But the point right. is there's, there's a lot of, uh, to do because of people like John Stewart, who, if you're getting your opinions from John Stewart, you're an idiot. We all realized, and I thought we all realized in early 2000 that John Stewart was a giant propagandist and was just a garbage liberal who used jokes to lie to the American people and push the liberal agenda. But he still apparently exists and people listen to him. It's a very strange situation that I can't fathom. But John Stewart has purportedly been working hard for U.S. veterans. Look, I, okay. I don't have a ton of background on what John Stewart's doing when it comes to veterans. What I do remember is being in the United States Army in like the in like the mid early to mid 2000s. During, you know, the like some of the heights of Iraq and Afghanistan and Jon Stewart being a uh, giant piece of human garbage and crapping yeah. all over all of the efforts that we were doing and crapping all over the war while we were fighting it and crapping all over everything else. So the fact that he's supposedly now 
being presented to me as, well, this guy's fighting for veterans. It's like, I don't trust him. Yeah. Why the hell would I trust him at all? This guy crippled all of my efforts while I was in a war zone. Why in God's name would I trust this guy? But yeah, here's the sure. thing that I'm talking about. One of the things that John Stewart was involved in was known as the Pact Bill, which is a bill that was being put forward and some of the money is supposed to go towards veterans who were exposed uh, to things like um, burn pits and chemicals. Oh. And this is supposed to be money that is going to go towards helping veterans, helping veterans um, recover from injuries from things like that. So, okay. so far, these are things that I understand and I agree with because this is a real thing. There were exposures to chemicals in the Vietnam War being like Agent Orange. There were ex yeah. exposures to a lot of chemicals um, with like Alan and I when it comes to burn pits, when it comes to some of the other um, other things that we did. Well, and to be fair, um, we got a hell of a lot of shots that probably had a lot of issues. There have been things in the past brought up like Gulf War Syndrome. These are, uh -huh. these are situations and they can be covered. One of the things that I am going to um, absolutely note is uh, there's a hilarious thing that um, everybody from our unit has brought up as kind of a joke. And we worked with, obviously, because we were in intelligence, we worked with a lot of radio frequencies and, and a lot of equipment. Um, every person that has had a child since our deployment, I think with the exception of one, has had daughters. Yeah. But Regardless, point is, there's nothing inherently bad about what's going on with this pact bill, except for one little point, which is that the Senate bill had a little gimmick written in it to oh, reclassify $400 billion from discretionary spending to direct. And all that happened was Republicans in the Senate asked to remove that. Now, oh. they can vote on amendments, they could fix the language of the bill, but instead, the Democrats went out to the media and said, and Jon Stewart, because ultimately, he's a Democrat propagandist, went out and are telling the American people that Republicans are playing politics with, uh, with veterans and they're holding up this veteran bill because they're just the worst and they're mean. I'm going to stop you right there. Um, at zero point ever. Now, are Republicans the best thing for the military? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Are Democrats, like Democrats are certainly not good for the United States military. Republicans might not be the best for the United States military, but Democrats certainly are not good for it. They are not good for national security and they are not good for the United States military. What's amazing here is Senator Pat Toomey decided to speak out on CNN, um, on CNN's State of the Union, I'm sorry, uh, on CNN's State of the Union this morning to explain exactly what is going on with this bill and to point out how Democrats are lying to everybody about why it got held up. Here's the audio from this morning. What do you say to those who find it impossible to believe that of all the multi-trillions of dollars in our federal budget, this is where you and Republicans decided to take a stand. 
Here's what uh, you need to keep in mind, Jake. First of all, um, this is the oldest trick in Washington. Uh, people take a sympathetic group of Americans, and it could be children with an illness, it could be victims of crime, it could be veterans who've been exposed to toxic chemicals, craft a bill to address their problems, and then sneak in something completely unrelated that they know could never pass on its own and dare Republicans to do anything about it because they know they'll unleash their allies in the media and maybe a, a pseudo celebrity to make up false accusations to try to get us to just swallow what shouldn't be there. That's what's happening here, Jake. But, but this, my this efforts, my Republican colleagues, let me say last month. Yeah. And we were promised that we'd have an opportunity to offer an amendment to, to change this. And then, of course, that was reneged on. So people hadn't had a chance to be socialized about this. Let me be very clear. Republicans are not opposed to any of the substance of the PACT Act. The honest Repub my honest Democratic colleagues will fully acknowledge that my objection, and if I get my way, I get my change, it will not change by one penny any spending on any veterans program. What I'm trying to do is change a government accounting methodology that is designed to allow our Democratic colleagues to go on an unrelated $400 billion spending spree that has nothing to do with veterans and that won't. That's it. That, that I would po I would posit that that this is entirely the point of adding this thing in, yeah. not so that it passes, but so that when it doesn't pass, they can turn around and blame Republicans for hating on veterans. Which let's who the hell is going to buy that? I uh, Democrat voters. Well, so That's so so it. so nobody like the the needle moves not at all. <laughs> Well, like we yeah. talked about with many things, Democrat voters are deeply demoralized and frustrated mm -hmm. with what's going on, and they are trying anything they can to manipulate Democrat voters into continuing to support them. No, I mean, and that's very true. But but there's there's another notable here from that um, from that exchange, which was uh, Jake Tapper, um, you know, on CNN. His like, how come this? I mean, the government's already spending trillions of dollars. Why is this the one you care about? Like that's, uh, let's be honest, that's Democrat. That is solid Democrat logic. I mean, we're already burning a bunch of Americans' money and making inflation go rampant. Um, why care about this thing? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, geez, the, he, the amount of tax revenue, like we're, we're just, how many billions? I think it's something like we've spent more in Ukraine than we spent in the first five years in Afghanistan. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, while uh, while uh, uh, Zelensky comes over here and does a Vogue photo shoot, and then blacklists our own politicians from going to Ukraine. Yeah, for for those of you who don't know, uh, there was a blacklist that was leaked out that had several journalists on it, but also had Rand Paul. The Ukrainian government blacklisted Rand Paul, and some of you might be confused, like why Rand Paul? The only thing that Rand Paul has done in reference to Ukraine that is, I wouldn't even say abnormal, but like Rand Paul is a non-interventionist. This is known. There's nothing shocking there. He is a non-interventionist. He's pretty strict about it. Now, the only thing that Rand Paul has really done lately that has anything to do with Ukraine is request oversight over how the money we're sending to Ukraine is being spent. And the response from the Ukrainian government 
was to blacklist him. So I guess we got confirmation that all of this is a massive money laundering scheme. Yeah. I mean, we are giving billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to the Ukrainians because of a war with Russia while their president is continuing to beg for money, is getting photo shoots on the cover of Vogue, and is hosting celebrity concerts. This is, yeah. I don't, I, another situation. It's very silly. Democrats, Republicans, whoever the hell you are, don't come at me with your, oh my God, we have to fight for democracy. That, I swear to God, that, they are laughing at you. This is, I don't know any other way to take it than when I look at, at Zelensky now and not see him as just blatantly laughing in your face. This is, this is equivalent to you loaning money you don't have to your neighbor because they told you they were struggling and then you go onto social media and they post pictures of their vacation and then get upset with you for being mad about it. That is almost exactly what is going on right now. Like, tell me how that's not exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I feel very silly. like I hate to say it, but some of you idiots fell for it. Some of you fought with me when I told you that the Ukraine thing was dumb and that we shouldn't be doing this. I had people emailing and messaging me going, oh, how can you say that Russia's just so bad? Oh, poor Zelensky and the Ukrainians. Oh, geez. Yeah, <sighs> it's very unfortunate what's happening to the Ukrainians, but it is... It is very, but it is not something the United States should be involved in. And it's all deeply, it's all very deeply corrupt. And the fact that a bunch of like Ukrainians are suffering is an unfortunate reality. And it is caused by the very people that are using that suffering as a cover to continue the corruption. Yes. There is no option where the Ukrainian people don't suffer. There is only an option where the United States doesn't suffer along with them. I mean, yeah, I, I, and that's that that's that's not even a cynical statement. That is just the reality, and it's how the world works. Yeah, like uh, the the systems that govern the United States and a lot of the world have been deeply compromised and are set up so that essentially, the, what what the enemy is relying on is that the cure for the disease is more painful than it than allowing it to continue. It's like it's going to be it's going to be painful and inconvenient and frustrating and difficult. And there's going to be a lot of suffering to change anything. And they're relying on that being so paralyzing that nobody tries. Yeah. Well, now <laughs> there's um, interesting stuff. Um, another little shift here is there there are some upcoming uh primaries that are going to be interesting. Mm. Uh, this comes yeah. from the Hill. Um, okay. So these are Republic. These Republicans who impeached Trump face tough primaries on Tuesday. Good. Three of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach former president Trump last year face tough primaries on Tuesday, competing against Trump endorsed challengers in crowded fields. So far, 
Four of the 10 have opted to retire. Two have overcome primary challenges to get to November, and one did not. Since leaving office, Trump has wielded his power against Republicans he thinks crossed him. Tuesday's race features two lawmakers from Washington and one from Michigan and are expected to be closely watched as yet another test of Trump's influence with GOP voters. Trump has like a 130 to like six rating, by the way. The, the media keeps posting stuff and never Trumpers and elite or establishment Republicans keep posting stuff about like Trump's like primary candidate loses. It's something like he has like 130 wins. It's probably more than that now, but he has like 130 people he endorsed that won. And then there's like six that didn't. And the, those six are the only thing anybody talks about. But point is, who cares? Uh, Representative Peter Meyer of Michigan. Meyer, who is facing off against Trump-endorsed John Gibbs in Michigan's 3rd Congressional District, was the only first-term Republican representative to vote to impeach the former president, setting off a wave of opposition from fellow Michigan Republicans, including county-level GOP groups that have censured him. Gibbs is one of the election deniers. Democrats have taken the controversial step of backing in hopes of propping up a candidate they think will be easier to defeat in November. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee released a TV ad earlier this year characterizing Gibbs as a Trump ally who is too conservative for the district in a wink to Republican voters upset with Meyer for his lack of loyalty to the former president. The tactic has drawn pushback from within both parties. Um, huh. I, I find this very funny because uh, so establishment Republicans basically are going on this whole thing about how Democrats are supposedly propping up uh, Trump endorsed candidates in hopes that they will uh, be able to beat them in November. But I think that a lot of the like Eric Erickson's and David French's and Bill Crystal's um, of the of never Trump land talking about this was actually to cover up a different news story that we'll get to in just a second. But I want to name these other um, these other representatives. Uh, Representative Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington. Herrera Butler faces four Republicans and three Democrats in what's known as a jungle primary, in which the top two vote getters of any party advance to the general election. But her top competition in Washington's 3rd Congressional District is, is thought to be Trump-endorsee Joe Kent, who, by the way, is hilarious to follow on Twitter. Uh, Trump yeah. held a telephone rally for Kent on Monday, during which he called the candidate a tough cookie with a big, fat, beautiful heart. <laughs> God, Trump is so goofy. Anyway, according to, according to Washington newspaper The Reflector, Trump said Herrera Butler, on the other hand, is in line with fake Republicans, including Cheney and Kinzinger, both of whom are members of the committee investigating the January 6th attack. All right, next we have Representative Dan Newhouse, Republican of Washington. Newhouse will face off in Washington's 4th Congressional District against former police chief Lauren Culp, endorsed by Trump for his support of gun rights and denial of President, President Biden's election victory in 2020. Culp refused to enforce gun laws in 2018 during his tenure as police chief. Ah, so that guy's a hero. Yeah. All right. So those are some of the upcoming uh, um, 
primaries that are, that, that are going to come out in uh, uh, on Tuesday. So we're going to see those three. We're going to see what happens with uh, Representative Meyer in Michigan. That's actually my hometown, uh, third congressional okay. district in uh, in Michigan. So we're going to see how he does um, in that, which is it, it's it's really interesting. Was when they talk about like, oh, Democrats, you know, they're funding these other like it's pretty solid Republican. Um, and so, yeah, like it's not, I'm not saying that there aren't, people have proven that Democrats are funneling some money into trying to support these other candidates to try to get them elected because they think there'll be easy wins in November. I think Democrats are being stupid, but the way that it's being sold by the never, by never Trumpers in the media is this idea of like, if you vote for say Joe Kent, you know, like if you vote for Joe Kent in Washington, then it's actually who the Democrats support or some such nonsense. Sure. The reality is, is there's actually a even worse story, uh, that came out, um, or say worse story. But um, in Georgia, for example, this is where like Eric Erickson is from, who's a big never Trumper, who's been very vociferously pushing um, this entire story about uh, uh, Republican or about Democrats, like supporting certain Republicans, always people that he hates. Um, It's fascinating because there was a story that came out where in Georgia, the company there's a company that supposedly was, it's called Landmark Communications. And so this comes from the Georgia record. Landmark Communications, the Republican political consulting firm in Atlanta that runs Democrats as Republicans, some with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Landmark Communications of Atlanta, Georgia, bills itself as the go-to firm for GOP candidates to get elected in Georgia. The founder, Mark Roundtree, says this about himself on Landmark's website. Mark Roundtree is president of Landmark Communications Incorporated, uh, which was founded in 1991. Campaigns and Elections Magazines Magazine has recognized Mark as one of Georgia's five top influencers, as well as the go-to man for GOP legislative candidates. Unfortunately, Landmark has a history of helping Democrats get elected running as Republicans. The phenomenon may have contributed to the absolute cesspool of corruption in the Peach State when it comes to the performance of Republican officials during the 2020 election cycle. Some of these candidates have ties to the Chinese Communist Party. We believe that there has been a concerted effort among Democrat operatives to do just that. Infiltrate the GOP and run progressives as Republicans who are lying about their beliefs and their views on the issues. All of the information below is from publicly available information. Nazira Dawood. Nazira Dawood ran for Johns Creek, Georgia, City Council in 2015. Johns Creek is a bedroom community of North Atlanta, now heavily populated by Asians. Nazira is an Indian immigrant and Landmark represented her during the JC election cycle in 2015. She was a member of the Republican leadership program when she qualified for post five in in JC. Nazira advertised herself as a fiscal Republican, tough on taxes, a woman with Republican family values. 
She was defeated for the position after information showing the complete opposite was released to the public. She was removed from the Republican leadership program after this development. Nazira is in the founder's photo below of the event Tacos, Beers, and Abortions, sponsored by the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. Nazira is obviously not a conservative. It was also found out that during the election, Nazira is not actually a medical doctor. Oh, great. Let's, uh, sorry, I have to scroll past all the screenshots they have of this stuff. John Fuchs. John Fuchs, the Georgia Deputy Secretary of State, who leaked the phone call with President Trump and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, is a former vice president of Landmark. Fuchs lied about the phone call to the press and then deleted the original audio file, which is found later uh, by an investigator. Brad Raffensperger, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, was also represented by Landmark during his elections. This morning, Georgia Secretary of State candidate David Bell Isle released data on Democrat contributions to Raffensperger's campaign. The behavior of Raffensperger since November 3rd has been bizarre for a Republican to say the least. So we could go on on this, but the the idea here is I want you to understand that like one of the biggest people that's pushing this whole like, oh, my gosh, look at these Republican or look at these Republicans that uh, Democrats are sponsoring is Eric Erickson, who has a radio whose whose home base is in um, Georgia and has consistently stood behind people like Brad, Brad Raffensperger and all of the other people um, that existed that were in um, sorry, uh, that that are were in Georgia that pushed back against any investigation into into the Georgia election. I just find it interesting because it's the, an entire situation of they are accusing you of what they themselves are doing. Okay. So uh, for those who just asked in the comment section, I've retweeted again uh, that article. Uh, so it's now at the top of our Twitter page. It was tweeted earlier this week, but uh, you'll, you'll be able to find it there. So anyway, sorry, just an interesting, just an interesting thing that I wanted to point out. And I, I just, I find it uh, very strange. What are you, I, I guess I've never asked you this, Alan, is like, what are your thoughts of all of that, all of those statements? Democrats supposedly uh, giving money to uh, candidates that they claim are election deniers and, you know, fascists and what have you. They're giving them money because they think that they'll be able to beat them in November what are your thoughts on on stuff like that? So the only way this, so I guess the, the allegation is that there's candidates that are so far right that they're going to be unpalatable to the to mainstream voters, and Democrats are going to are trying to artificially prop up those candidates so they get more so because they'd be easier to defeat. It'd be easier to defeat a. Far, a very far right candidate than one that's more centrist. That's one that's more centrist. Or it's easier to generate a bunch of a um, generate a negative ad campaign against a far right candidate than a centrist candidate. And I can understand where the thought process comes from because it does make sense. If I wanted to try and win an election, I I certainly would rather go head to head against a radical liberal candidate than a center Republican than a more centrist Democrat candidate. 
I feel like it might somehow a little bit fall apart when they talk about how radical these people are. If they were supporting people that were much more extreme, I could maybe understand it. But when they talk about election deniers and these people supported Trump, I go, well, that's not radical. And it's not radical enough. Maybe that's my my statement on it is if it if there were if. If the Democrats are quietly supporting extreme Republican candidates to try and because they're easier to defeat, they're not picking people that are extreme enough. They're picking people that are extremely reasonable. It's like election deniers. Well, a lot of Americans are election deniers. They supported Trump. A lot of Americans supported Trump. So if that's truly their plan, they're bad at it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it also I mean it's it also be a very convenient way to try and sabotage support for candidates that are not part of the mainstream that are not mainstream Republicans, because simply the allegation of, well, that guy's an so extreme, he's getting money from Democrat supporters because it's a manipulation. That's a very convenient way to try and distract people from what that candidate is saying about, hey, the election was stolen. Trump was pretty good for America. A lot of these mainstream Republicans cooperate too closely with Democrats. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm skeptical of it for a number of reasons. I don't know that it's not happening, but if it is essentially if it is happening, if Democrats are really supporting these far right candidates, they're doing a bad job of it because they're only picking people that I think are good choices. Well, and and I I think the reason why why this um, hits with me the way that it does is I think that this is a perfect example of how the because well i i think we've bared out pretty obviously especially today that the um democrat party does not understand uh regular america anymore they're so detached and tone deaf uh from the actual concerns of americans and, and how americans think and i think that this really proves that um in a lot of ways because i think Ultimately, what's going to come out of this is these Democrats are going to put forward some of these candidates or supposedly they, they support them. And it's because they think that they're going to be able to beat them, you know, handily in, you know, in November, which, by the way, if you think about the logic, um, what that means is that whatever district they are doing these kinds of things in is a place that a Republican is likely to win. But they think if they put up a, quote, worse Republican um, then Democrats might have a chance. Democrats aren't going to do this kind of thing and spend this kind of money in an area that they're pretty sure they might have in the bag or at least have a pretty good fighting chance. You don't need to sure. do tactics like that. So this is a place that is a likely uh, Republican area. I think that this right. is going to bite Democrats in the ass ultimately because they're going to be highlighting more populist candidates who, by the way, I think a lot more Americans these days are going to identify with over Adam Kinzinger and uh, Liz Cheney style Republicans. Those people suck. Yeah. Nobody yeah. likes them anymore. That It's the thing that the Democrats haven't realized that Trump actually did. With uh, For all of the accusations that Democrats want to make about what Trump did to America, oh, he made it so terrible. The reality of what he did was expose the shitty parts of the Republican Party. That was actually yeah, that's the- certainly one of the things, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the most effectual things that Donald Trump did was 
basically walk out and go, hey guys, you know how excited you all were over people like Paul Ryan and John McCain and Mitt Romney? Those people suck and they will screw you over. They will vote with the Democrats 90% of the time. Whatever they do will hurt you. They don't care about your jobs. They don't care about your livelihood. They will sell out your country to to places like China and the Ukraine and whatever the hell else. These people suck and they don't care about America. That's what Donald Trump did. And all the Democrats are doing now is giving a voice to people who are going to be like, hey, remember how much John McCain and Mitt Romney sucked? And everyone's like, yeah, those people actually really did suck. Yeah, I think they suck too. And everyone's like, oh, I'm going to vote for that guy so hard. Yeah. I think that this is going to bite. And by the way, I absolutely want, quote, election deniers in Congress in 2023. I absolutely want that to happen because I want these people to investigate what actually happened. Sure. Like, yeah, I, I think the, I think one of the best, best things about Trump was not even anything Trump did. I think that, that Trump exposed a lot of the nonsense from people that were supposedly our allies. And he exposed just simply by his existing. I think mm-hmm. that was Trump existed and these and it made these people ex- expose themselves as for what they really were. And that was a great service. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of other Trump services, right, one of the things that um, has bothered a lot of people uh, in the Trump administration was the fact that, like, we didn't see a border wall happen. And some of this uh, yeah. can absolutely sit right on the shoulders of the Republican Party. Like, the absolutely. Definitely. Tr- Trump did not get the support necessary to build a border wall. Hilariously, and in attempts to be secretive about it, the Biden administration is secretly trying to uh, patch up areas, uh, open areas of the border wall now. Mm -hmm. The Biden administration has approved construction on areas of the border. Because, weirdly, illegal immigration suddenly became a problem. Hilarious. Now, what made it a problem? Because it hasn't been a problem for years, right? Like, you know, the, the illegal immigration is phenomenal and, and everything should be a sanctuary and it's great. So, so why is it a problem now? Like, why would the Biden administration suddenly be concerned about the border? Do, do you happen to know why, Alan? Uh, because I believe a bunch of states that are most heavily affected by all of these uh, illegals flooding into the United States are responded by shipping them to blue cities. Well, now, blue cities like, you know, Washington, D.C. and, and New York, uh, New York City. Yeah. But but obviously, these uh, the mayors of these cities are turning around and thanking, like, Governor Greg Abbott and Governor DeSantis. They're thanking them for all of the diversity and new talents and, like, taco trucks, as we've been told, are all the great things that are brought by these uh, illegal immigrants, right? Uh, they diversify cities. They bring all this strength with all of their wonderful talents. And no one can forget the taco trucks because that was the reason why— we're supposed to support Democrats and not be against illegal immigration because we all love taco trucks, right? So, so they're they're right. thanking these Republican governors for all the strength and diversity going to their towns, right? Right, 
Right. So in places like New York and Washington, D.C., the mayors of those cities are now decrying there's this big crisis because they're being flooded with with all of these illegal aliens. And it is putting too big of a strain on city services and something needs to be done. I was always told diversity was a strength and that we had to accept all of these illegal immigrants because it's such a strength and it only brings good things. And any of the any of this alarmism from these right wingers about you know, we can't just support all of these people just flooding in the United States by people in these blue cities. I was told that was just irresponsible alarmism based on racism. Hmm. But now suddenly it turns out actually all of that was true when we've been lying the whole time, because now that they're flooding blue cities, now we actually have to respond with, yeah, all of your complaints were true. So now now when it actually affects them. Right, exactly. And what it, what it exposes is that Illegal immigration was being used intentionally and knowingly as a weapon to hurt red states on the border. I, uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, hold that thought for a quick second. But okay. So, so j- just so people understand what we're talking about policy-wise, is Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington D.C. has requested assistance from the National Guard. By the way, it's the same National Guard that she denied on January 6th because she knew that the feds were going to stage a whole thing so the media would have something to talk about. Um, But additionally, um, additionally, the uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, is complaining. New York City, by the way, largest city in the United States, with massive amounts of infrastructure is complaining that illegal immigrants that were originally in Texas that got sent or well, sorry, maybe it was Florida. Doesn't matter. Illegal immigrants that crossed the border um, were sent to New York city. He is now complaining that the infrastructure of the largest city in the United States is being overwhelmed. So what, what does that mean for all of these small towns? What does that mean for all of these red cities that are being overrun? If the very wealthy and very high in resources area of New York City is being stressed by all of these immigrants flooding in, areas along the border with not nearly the amount of resources, what's been happening to them? And they've clearly... We're not lying when they said this is a major problem. We are having serious issues with illegal immigration. When they when they were called racist, that was simply cover, in order to to make sure they continue being hurt. Yeah. I just uh, so, but what you were saying was so. You think that this reveals what the actual intent. Um, what the actual reasoning behind a lot of this illegal immigration was because, because now what, what, what we're realizing was it was super easy for places like New York city and for places like Washington DC to declare, um, that they were sanctuaries because the problem was never actually going to affect them. This was all just virtue signaling nonsense, right? Like that seems to be the case, but now that it's happening, it's a huge problem for them. And you you think that this uh, that what this is showing is that the support 
from the Democrat Party for illegal immigration was for something else. That's what you were alluding to, right? Yes, yes, it was. Mm -hmm. It was. Well, and I would say more especially the demonization of anyone complaining about illegal immigration was a tactic that was being used to silence dissent because they liked the they liked that it was hurting red areas. Okay. And they wanted to make sure that that was allowed to continue and not stopped because a bunch of red areas along the border wanted to make illegal immigration stop because it was having a negative effect. And Democrats intentionally were then obfuscating that fact so that, that those negative things could continue by saying, well, it's, it's all racist. They just don't like these people, blah, blah, blah. And now that it's affecting their cities, they now have to take those complaints seriously because it is going to hurt their own voters instead of just hurting enemy voters. Well, and, you know, there's been a lot of point when people talk about the Great Replacement. Well, the Great Replacement was like a legitimate policy suggestion by liberals. There are books written about doing it, which was about how, you know, all of these fussy damn Americans could just be replaced via immigration to then support the socialist ends of, you know, progressive, you know, Democrats, right? Um, Yeah. I I think that this kind of, which has been a thing that like Tucker Carlson has focused a lot on and he's been roundly attacked as like, well, you, you came up with the great replacement theory and he has to turn around and go, no, I didn't like Democrats wrote these things. Like here are the, like gloat about it. Yeah. They talk about it's like, not like we are going to flip the the demographics of this country and it's going to be a good thing. When Mm -hmm. this country is minority white, that will be better. That'll be great. That'll be a good thing for us. Right. It is one of those things that I look at anything my enemy is excited about. I now have to look at it and go, well, that's probably only they're probably only excited about it because it's going to be really bad for me and going to bring about things that I'm going to really want to avoid. Well, and and to that point, I I think that this sort of shows that because like New York City doesn't want a bunch of illegal immigrants. They're supposed to go to like, you know, they're supposed to go to red areas. They're like. That was the plan. They're not I mean, sticking to the, the plan. Same reason why, it's the same reason why there is a massive Somali colony in Minnesota, of all places. Yeah. Because Democrats made sure that a huge quantity of Somali refugees and immigrants all went to the same area. And it had the effect of diluting the vote of the essentially indigenous Minnesotans. So now that they have, they're divided and conquered. Right. And now they have... Ilhan Omar as their representative. Ilhan Omar, they have the, uh, and and now they have to deal with all of these now pro-Islamic policies and dealing with that rather than being a essentially cohesive white area, it's now been diluted and they have to deal with all of these now problems that diversity is bringing them. Multiculturalism is only a way to divide and conquer people. And so that they are distracted fighting amongst each other and dealing with the problems of immigration rather than dealing with than rather than dealing with the power the abusive power of their own elites yeah like if if society stabilizes um then people might be asking you know tough yeah. questions like how come nancy pelosi's husband just made millions of dollars on a stock purchase of nvidia by the way that's yep. a chipset manufacturer uh right before the government just promised to give billions of dollars to chip manufacturers 
it's a lot harder to be corrupt in a cohesive, well-run society. It's a lot easier to be corrupt in a society that is riven by internal schism and differences because then you can play people off against each other. Right. That's, um, exactly, that's exactly what all of this mass immigration to not only the United States, but all across Europe. The city of London is now majority non-British. And the yeah. goal of that was to make it easier for the people in charge to divide and conquer the, their own populace. Mm -hmm. um, no, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely correct. And this is like a thing, uh, what is it, is it John Cleese uh, brought this up and got like roundly attacked where he just said like, yeah, London's not British anymore. And uh, yeah. it's not. I mean, it's it's yeah. a, there's a huge amount. shit lib. John Cleese even noticed. It. <laughs> so um, we're we're coming up you know, basically on the last twelve minutes of the program, and I want to have um, we need to have a little bit of fun. Uh, this is apparently a tweet um, where CNN went to Wyoming to ask voters if they're going to vote for Liz Cheney. And hilarity ensues. I haven't watched this yet, so it just kind of came up on on the Twitter. And so uh, let's uh, let's take a quick listen and see see how things are going uh, in Wyoming for Liz Cheney. Cheney for a fourth term. Are you planning to vote for Liz Cheney? Can I cuss? Hell no. Are you planning to support Liz Cheney? Absolutely not. What are your thoughts about Liz Cheney running for a fourth term? Um, personally, I think she said for three too many. Keep in mind, in 2020, Donald Trump won about 70% of the vote in Wyoming. So Liz Cheney's work on the January 6th investigation isn't playing so well with many Wyoming voters. She's done us dirty. How so? Oh, God. Look at what, how she's done Trump. I'm a, I'm a Trump fan. I'm sorry. So she lost your vote because of her role on the January 6th committee and what she's yes. doing about Trump? Yes, She's supposed to be supporting him. She's a Republican, for crying out loud. I find her work on the January 6th committee just repulsive. How do you feel about her work on the January 6th committee and her role? It's all a hoax. It's all propaganda. has nothing to do with anything. It's a witch hunt. She says she's defending what's important to people here in Wyoming, uh, upholding the rule of law, defending the me. Constitution. If that was the rule of law, why doesn't he have a defense team in that courtroom? That ain't the rule of law. That's a kangaroo court. That's not the Wyoming way. She has been an embarrassment. It's a witch hunt. Are you proud of her for taking on Donald Trump? No. Here in Cheyenne, more than 1,600 miles from Washington, D.C., almost everyone we spoke with told us they believe Liz Cheney is too focused on Donald Trump and the January 6th committee and not paying enough attention to what they believe matters to the people here in Wyoming. <laughs> Well, that's true. Oh my God, that's, that's all true. <laughs> I didn't. I did not think that that's how that was going to go. Um, by the way, real real quick, um, a couple of actually really. Um, I mean, it's not that I don't think that people in why don't misunderstand this. This isn't some shit lib thing. It's not that I don't think that people in Wyoming are intelligent. I'm actually shocked that CNN included it, where you know, like. Just some random man on the street gets asked, like, well, she says she's supporting the rule of law. And the guy's like, that's not the rule of law. He'd have a defense team if it was the rule of law. That's not the Wyoming way. Like, dude, CNN, why did you air this? Yeah, that's actually, that's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, I, 
I know why they did. Um, and it's, it's once again, it's more proof of how detached, um, yeah, HD cynical on her chats. Like they couldn't even find one token Republican to approve of her. <laughs> like, um, so, but, but th this is what's so fascinating about this is CNN aired this for their audience. Meaning I, I, I believe because I don't, I can't fathom how, how else the logic would be on airing something like this. I believe that CNN put this out because they sat there thinking we need to show our audience, all these dummy dumbs in Wyoming. So our, um, our audience will understand, uh, like, I don't know, like, like Liz, Liz Cheney good, because here's all these dummy dumbs, um, that don't like her. Because uh, this whole like man on the street thing, you guys, obviously you can't see the video, but the video of it, um, and it's now shared on our Twitter, um, the video of it, this is all basically taking place at um, a rodeo. Ah, okay. And so I think that CNN aired this as like, listen to what these idiot Republicans who we all hate, uh, think about Liz Cheney. She must be one of the good ones. Because yeah. otherwise it doesn't make any sense because to me, you just made a case that Liz Cheney is garbage. You just had a bunch of her voters. That's how this country works. That's how this country works. You just had a bunch of her voters sitting there saying, yeah, no, she doesn't represent me. She's sitting there for this witch hunt. This stuff is stupid. She's too focused on it. She needs to be like, she doesn't care about Wyoming. Yeah. So I don't know. It's uh it's fascinating because Liz Cheney is going to lose. She's going to lose her primary. How are they gonna handle that? I I don't know. What's interesting, they 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 would do that clip. It, You'd think they would just bury that and say, God, we don't want to actually show this. Because they could, they probably are going to, I would imagine they're, they're, what would they do normally? Well, if I had to guess, they'd do something like, the dumb idiots of Wyoming, the dumb Trump supporting idiots of Wyoming just want to keep, they are voting her out because they're, I don't know, racist. It, it has but to. I feel like now that you're doing these, you know, getting clips like that, that's a, that's a harder claim to make now. It has to be this idea that they're going to be able to like try to claim like, well, like Liz Cheney's actually a good Republican, but Trump has just such a stranglehold on the Republican Party that like good Republicans can't even exist. And I'm still very confused as to why literally any Republican would take advice from CNN on what is good and bad politically. Yeah, Very but strange. at I like I said, I just I didn't expect it. It the only thing that I can surmise is that CNN is doing this for their own liberal audience, um, so their own liberal audience will sit there and like spit at their TV every time they show you know um, a white Trump supporter. 
and it, it, I mean, I guess at this point yeah. it's just porn. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what else to call it. Um, it's really weird. Yeah. I don't know. Strange, but hilarious to listen to, man. It sounds like the people of Wyoming absolutely hate Liz Cheney. And to be fair, rightfully so. Um, she basically committed treason. So um, I know I know yeah. somebody's going to be like, I don't understand how it's treason. Blah, blah. It's treason in the sense that people voted for her because she's a Republican. And then she turned around and started working for the Democrats. That's what happened. This entire January 6th committee hearing is about making it to where you, Republican voters, no longer exist. They want to make it illegal for you to vote. They want to make it illegal for you to be represented. If they could, if they could get away with it, they would put you in the gulag. And Liz Cheney would turn the key. That's what I mean by that. Yeah. Now, the final thing, because we weren't able to get to it, and I'm very sorry about it, but I do want to get the news out there real quick before we close the show out. There was another email that came out, <clears throat> that was, or an email or text message that was discovered um, that has now confirmed that in all of the message correspondence that you see from the Hunter Biden laptop referring to 10% for the big guy, um, it has been confirmed by another person who is a partner in several of these Hunter Biden ventures that the big guy absolutely was referring to Joe Biden unequivocally in a panicked message. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't have the name in front of me, but in a panicked message, uh, there was a statement that said, what do we do if the big guy loses the election? What does that mean for us because of this news story now about the laptop? Yeah. So it is now indisputable that Joe Biden is the big guy. And now we know exactly why China is perfectly comp uh, confident telling Joe Biden, you better not let Nancy Pelosi go to Taiwan or bad things will happen because Joe Biden is going to have no other choice but to grab his ankles for the demands of the CCP. Because by the way, we might have all of the things that are on Hunter Biden's laptop, you need to understand that the Chinese Communist Party has all of the receipts. Yeah. Just understand that for a second. The president of China, Xi Jinping, can get a hold of Biden and say, I will literally release all of the money we paid to your son, and I will show the American people all the money we paid to you, your family, your son, and your business dealings, unless you do what I say. He can do that because those things exist. Mm -hmm. And so when you see what's inevitably going to be, that when the Chinese Communist Party threatens to shoot down Nancy Pelosi's aircraft if she goes to Taiwan, if you see Joe Biden capitulate and convince Nancy Pelosi to not go to Taiwan or something else, it's going to make sense to you now why that happened. And it's because Joe Biden is owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Oh, it's like, absolutely. What a, state, what a state for the United States to be in. Yeah. I mean, and another thing that does have to be pointed out is uh, there were talks about, uh, this is going to be the, the final thought while the music's playing out, but the um, um, it was brought up 
by uh, about Putin meeting with uh, Biden. And Vladimir Putin responded back that he'd be more than happy to meet with Joe Biden as long as it was televised live. And so once again, major world leaders are making a mockery of the United States on the world stage because Joe Biden is a bumbling idiot and they're not afraid to point it out. But that's going to have to be it for us this week. Be sure to go over to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio where you can sponsor the program for $2.99 a month. And of course, you can send an email to contact at wrongthinkradio.com or just uh, comment to us on Twitter. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. We'll see you all next Sunday. Thanks, everybody.